Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Farfetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. Now, I've realized recently that there's something I should have addressed in an earlier episode of Farfetched, a much earlier episode. When I do my intro and I say that this is about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer, I wonder if maybe that's creating the wrong impression. Yes, a lot of my work is unpaid, but that's actually part of how the whole thing works. That's part of the bargain. Let me try to explain. Every every writer that I know and, and probably many artists who work in other media go through a lot of failed attempts at what they're doing. I have, as I've mentioned before, and the whole whole impetus for me doing this podcast is the fact that I have so many old manuscripts buried away in file cabinets and Tupperware containers that never saw the light of day. That's all unpaid. It's not like I'm doing work for someone who's not paying me. It's that I'm doing work for myself that I don't get compensated for unless I sell it. And the thing is, selling it takes a very long time. Usually, of course there are exceptions, but selling your work takes a very long time. And you just have to accept that. I, I worked for years and years, wrote many, many scripts that will never see the light of day. I, w- I won't talk about them here. I won't show them to anybody because they're, they're not that great uh, for, for lots of different reasons because I was just starting out, because I hadn't found my voice yet, because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with the script. But I just kept writing, even though nobody would look at my stuff for a long time and I was not getting paid for it. So that's what I'm talking about. It's not, uh, it's not the end of the world. Yes, there have been times when I wish the paychecks came a little faster and came a little more frequently. There have been times when money's been tight. But again, that's, that's part of the game. That's part of the deal you make when you decide you want to pursue this sort of thing, writing as a career. Writers are always writing spec scripts, even professional writers who get lots of work and make lots of money. When they're in between gigs, they're writing stuff. They're writing stuff they're not getting paid for. They're writing stuff on speculation in the hopes that maybe they can sell it to someone, uh, a, a new TV pilot script or a new movie script. Every writer's doing it. Case in point, I was recently invited to do a guest spot on a really fun podcast called The Seventh Rule. This is a Star Trek podcast specifically dedicated to Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the show I did most of my writing for. And the podcast is put on by a couple of really nice people, including the actor Sirach Lofton, who played Jake Sisko in the show Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So it was really funny to spend time uh, online with, with Sirach and uh, talk about uh, my, my work on Deep Space Nine, um, some of which included him. Had a really fun time talking, and at one point I thought, hey, you know what? One of my unsold stories to Star Trek Deep Space Nine was a story that centered around Jake Sisko, the character played by Sirach Lofton. And I said, if you guys would like, we could do a, a reading. I have like a three or four page story outline for that episode. It was never titled. It didn't sell to the Star Trek producers. They, they had, I don't even remember now what the reasons were that they passed on this story. But for whatever reason, they did. The episode never got made. But 
uh, I suggested to the guys on the podcast, hey, what if we what if we read the story treatment for this script, and we could get Sirach's reaction to a story that could have been that could have featured him in a central role, having his own Star Trek adventure. So they liked the idea. So we we taped that we taped that uh, episode of the Seventh Rule. And that is going to go online on YouTube this Saturday, March 19th, 2022, as part of an online Star Trek convention. The event is called Virtual Trek Con 3. And the segment in which we talk about my uh, unsold script idea for Jake Sisko on Deep Space Nine will be Saturday, March 19th, 2022, at 11 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. If you get a chance, tune in. You might you might enjoy it. But it gives you a good idea what happens when a script doesn't sell. <laughs> this is I've I've never had an opportunity like this where my my idea has actually my unsold idea has actually gotten a look from someone who actually would have been involved in the production had it sold. So that was that was kind of funny. And the people behind the show, Ryan and Sirak and Melissa, are all just really great, fun people to work with. And I hope I get a chance to work with them again sometime. So hope you check that out. I also wanted to mention, before I get into the heart of the episode, that I have been uh, binge-watching a lot of the new Star Trek TV series. I've, I, I've fallen way behind and I'm playing catch-up now. And I'm enjoying it for the most part. I would say out of the four new Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Lower Decks, and Star Trek Prodigy, I got to be honest, Star Trek Lower Decks is my favorite by far. It's so fun. It's so well done. The humor is so perfect. You just can't not love this show. I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, Second, I would have to say Star Trek Discovery. It's it's very much like original Star Trek, I think. It's got a lot of really great things going for it. I put Star Trek Picard in third, and that's mostly because Star Trek Discovery is really future-looking, forward-looking. It's about Star Trek, it's about Star Trek making progress. Star Trek going new places and doing new things. Star Trek Picard is very much about nostalgia, sort of going over old things again after many, many, many years, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of fun in it, in fact, but, but it doesn't quite work as well with me as Star Trek Discovery does. And then in last place, I would have to say Star Trek Prodigy. And I'm not knocking that show at all. It's very fun, um, but it's a kid's show, so you know it, it hits me in a different way. Than, than the more adult series do. And again, that's, that's, not a, that's not a complaint or a criticism. It's just the way it is. I do have one major, major beef with Star Trek Picard, though, since I finished the first season the other day. There's something that really bugs me about how they concluded that show, that 10-episode show. I won't get into it now. I'll save that for the end of this podcast because I don't want it to be a spoiler. That way you can listen to this podcast and then shut it off before I get to the spoilerish part. Okay? Deal. So, the whole reason I started this podcast a year ago, and it is exactly a year ago, was so that I could read or do dramatic presentations 
of all the unsold story ideas that I pitched to the Star Trek producers. And this includes Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Star Trek Voyager. I succeeded with Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. I failed miserably with Voyager, and I'll get to that when the time is right. We are going to have a dramatic reading of one, maybe two, of my unsold pitches to Star Trek The Next Generation. So here goes. So here's how I'm going to do this. I have many, many printouts of stories I pitched to Star Trek The Next Generation. Several of them I have multiple versions of the same treatment. Now these aren't scripts, these are just treatments. So in most cases they're going to be three, four, five pages long. And again, some of them I have several versions. So in, in a case where I have several versions of the same story, I'm going to read the longer version because obvious reasons. It's probably going to be the better version. So here goes. Unsold Star Trek The Next Generation pitch number one. I have no record of what date this took place or if it was... You know, if it was earlier in the show or later in the show, so that information would be nice to have, but I just don't have it. So this first story is called Life in a Day. And the pitch line is, after a fatal accident in engineering, Geordi restores life to an unprepared and unappreciative crewmate. And the treatment begins. The Enterprise is on a mission to a dead world to conduct a radical experiment in terracycling, a scientist from the planet Sadra, Dr. Kronostes, has developed a theory by which a starship's warp engines can be used to reliquify the core of a dead world and bring it back to life. The Enterprise is taking the doctor to the dead world, Miranda 6, to test his theory. End of teaser. Now I should warn you with uh, this story, well, with most of these stories, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, dramatizing. Uh, there's a lot of pseudo-scientific babble, techno-babble, we call it in Star, Star Trek. So you'll have to forgive the techno-babble. I'm sure most of it makes absolutely no sense, but it sounds good, and that's what matters. So that was the teaser. Act 1. En route, Geordi LaForge is spending time with Lieutenant Dina Mundy, an Earth-born physicist who has come aboard ship to assist with the experiment. As Geordi gets her and the rest of the team ready for the experiment, friendship and mutual respect develop between the two. Lieutenant Mundy is lonely, far from Earth for the first time, and she clearly appreciates her new friendship with Geordi. In fact, since she has helped develop the experiment, she persuades Geordi to trade places with her during the dry run so that she can be closer to the action. We also get to know Dr. Kronostes and find him to be a very talented, sensitive creature who also feels friendship towards Geordi. In a trial run on the eve of the experiment, all three are at their stations in engineering. As the warp engines begin to build up power to zap the planet, Dina performs her delicate juggling of the antimatter flow. Something goes wrong, and Dina is trapped in a shower of antimatter, which instantly kills her. The trial run is safely aborted, and Geordi and Dr. Kronostes run to Dina's body. Geordi is distraught, but Dr. Kronostes tells him that he, like other Sadrans, has the power to restore her life for a short period of time. Kronostes asks if Geordi wishes him to restore Dina's life, and Geordi jumps at the offer. Kronostes performs a bit of medical magic at Dina's heart and temples, and her eyes flutter open. Boy, she gasps, for a second there I thought I was a goner. 
and Act 1. Act 2. In sickbay, we learn that several members of the engineering crew died in the accident. Dr. Crusher is giving Dina a thorough checkup. To Dina's frustration, Crusher seems to be running the same tests over and over again. Crusher hides it from Dina, but she's growing more and more consternated with her test results. As they wait for Crusher's prognosis, Chronostes explains to Jordy that his people have developed the ability... As they wait for Dr. Crusher's prognosis, Chronostes explains to Jordy that his people have developed the ability to restore life for a short period so that those who have died unexpectedly may have the chance to review their lives and say goodbye to loved ones. It is customary, he says, to have the person's permission before doing so. It is customary, he says, to have the person's permission before doing so, and he's troubled by the fact that he restored life to someone who was completely unprepared. He simply did what he did out of personal guilt and concern for Geordi. Geordi is concerned for the same reasons, and also because Chronostes was only able to perform his miracle on one of the crew. He asks Chronostes how long the limited time is, and is dismayed to find that it is a little under 24 hours. Then Dr. Crusher calls Geordi to sickbay, and he realizes that he's going to have to tell Dina exactly what happened. In sickbay, Crusher tells Geordi that Dina should be dead, there is extensive internal damage, and she wants to know how it can be that she is alive. Geordi tells her, and she's shocked. This is beyond the normal purview of medical ethics, and Crusher wonders how to tell Dina that she's going to die again in less than a day. But Geordi knows he must tell her. Geordi walks Dina back to her quarters and tells her what has happened. She's incredulous at first, then begins to remember things she had dismissed as hallucinations, glimpses of her own dead body and of terrifying darkness. Geordi assures her that it's true, and that it was he, not Chronostes, who made the decision to revive her. When she realizes it's true, Dina becomes furious with Geordi and throws him out of her quarters. End of Act 2. Act 3. Outside Dina's quarters, Worf stands sentinel, and Deanna Troy attempts to communicate via the wall communicator. In the throes of denial, Dina flatly tells her to go away, but Deanna implores her to get in touch with her immediately if she changes her mind. Deanna tells Worf not to let anyone disturb Lieutenant Mundy and to call her if anything changes. Deanna goes to the captain's ready room, where Picard is dragging the full story out of Geordi and Dr. Chronostes. Although both Geordi and Chronostes try to take full responsibility for the accident, an engineering team has determined that it was caused by mechanical, not human error, but the question of Lieutenant Mundy's revival is another matter. Both Geordi and Chronostes try to assume full blame, and Picard tells them both that they may be charged with human rights violations and brought to Earth for a formal inquiry. Although he can't blame them for what they've done, Picard finds it easy to believe that Geordi and Chronostes both acted selfishly, motivated by pure guilt, and he believes that they are both thus in a rather indefensible position as far as Starfleet is concerned. Deanna is more concerned with Dina's fate. She feels that Lieutenant Monday must be given every opportunity to find some meaning in her last hours. Since Geordi knew her best, Deanna asks for his help in reaching Dina, but Geordi is understandably reluctant and pessimistic. He tells Troy that he has lost many friends and shipmates in the line of duty, and he's always troubled that the living are never allowed an adequate way to say goodbye to the departed. He admits that when he held Dina's lifeless body in his arms, he felt cheated and longed for her to come back. When Chronostes offered to make it happen, he wished for it to happen, and it did. 
He is now racked with guilt over the crew members who died and over what he has done to Dina. He feels bitter irony in the fact that he didn't want to lose her, but by saving her, he has lost her. He wanted to give her more life, he says, but now sees that he is simply making her die twice. Deanna implores him to make peace with himself, and he admits that it will be difficult. Meanwhile, Dina has asked Dr. Karnastis to come to her quarters. He welcomes the chance to offer his apologies, but is unprepared for what Dina wants. She puts it to him bluntly. He brought her back to life. Now she wants him to make it permanent. When he tells her he cannot, she asks for just another day. He tells her again that he cannot do it, and sadly he leaves her. Even as he leaves, she still is begging for a reprieve. End Act 3. Act 4. Deanna Troy and Dr. Crusher are hurrying down a passageway in response to a call from Worf. When they find Worf, they also find Dina curled up in a corner, sobbing. She tried to take a walk, she explains, but panicked and couldn't move another inch. Deanna and Crusher help her back to her quarters, and Crusher gives her an antidepressant that accomplishes its goal. When she's feeling better, Dina tells them about her feelings of guilt that she alone among the casualties was brought back, and of her feelings of terror and panic at what she must soon face. Troy and Crusher try to focus her instead on the present. She describes her great sadness over not being able to see her family on Earth before she dies, and Crusher has an idea. Would she want to record some of herself into Data's memory? Data is summoned away from engineering, where he's working with Geordi, to record Dina's personal message to her family. In Dina's quarters, Data records Dina's message, then asks her how she's feeling about Geordi. She replies, very slowly, that she believes she forgives him and Kronostis for doing what they thought was right. Data then asks her if it would please her to see Geordi and tell him so herself, and she decides that it would. Geordi, it turns out, is right outside and appears within moments of Data's summons. Data leaves them alone to talk. After a long awkwardness, Geordi apologizes and Dina forgives, but as much as he longs to, Geordi simply cannot bridge the gulf that now separates them. And she tells him that she feels a vast gulf between herself and the rest of the universe, and that it doesn't even make her sad. She has no feelings left. When it is clear that they have said all that can be said, Dina asks about the experiment she came to assist with. Geordi tells her that it is scheduled for a few hours hence, and she asks if she might be able to perform her part of the job. Geordi's incredulous, but she explains that it might help her to make some sense of her extra day of life, to give it some meaning. Not knowing what else to say, Geordi agrees. End Act 4. Act 5. Later, in engineering, everything is ready to go. Picard and Riker look over the setup, and Kronostis and Geordi assure them both that the mechanical error that caused the accident has been eliminated. Picard and Riker are shocked to see Lieutenant Mundy present, but Geordi convinces them that it is appropriate that she be allowed to participate. The experiment begins, and all goes smoothly. Then, just when Dina must play her part, she seals herself off from the rest of engineering and begins to recreate the error that originally killed her. When Geordi realizes what she is doing, he tries to stop first her, then the experiment, but she is made certain that he can stop neither. Geordi decides to do whatever is necessary to break through the shields and stop Dina from committing suicide, but as he is about to do so, Kronosti stops him. If you make this decision for her again, the scientist tells Geordi, you'll be making the same mistake. She only has hours now to live. If you make her live them, they will be meaningless, as meaningless as the past 20 have been. Geordi knows Kronostis is right. He does not try to stop Dina. He simply tells her 
that he wishes she wouldn't take what's left of her life. He tells her everything he felt when she lay in his arms just one day ago, and that he wished she would open her eyes and hold his hand and just listen to him as he said goodbye, and then tell him that it was all right, that everything was all right. After what seems like forever, Dina looks at Jordy with tears in her eyes. She aborts the experiment and drops the shields. Jordy runs to her and she collapses, crying into his arms. She says she just wants someone to say goodbye to. Later, Jordy comes out of the holodeck and finds Deanna Troy and Data and Dr. Kronosti's waiting quietly. He tells him that she's gone. Then he tells Data that he can erase her message, that she asked him to deliver it instead. After a time, Deanna asks Jordy if he's okay. He nods and says that in the end, she said that her last hour of life had made it all worthwhile. Then Jordy says, we said goodbye. Jordy walks off alone to his quarters. The end. Well, two things jump out at me as I reread this story for the first time in a very long time. Those two things are, number one, I think you can see from this story how important it is in the Star Trek universe to involve every one of the regular characters in the story. I think I got some moments for just about everyone. Maybe Riker is a little shortchanged in this one. But I think I got everybody in there, and every, every one of the characters gets a good moment in this, in this story. The other thing is, I think, for the most part, maybe not as well as I could have, but I think for the most part, I did a pretty good job of making sure that the story stayed focused on Geordi. That, that I didn't make the story too much about the, the guest characters, and that I kept the focus on Geordi and made it a story about him. But that brings up an issue, though, because this is very clearly not a story about Geordi. It's very clearly about this poor woman who's going to die. If I had to do it over again 25 years later, I probably would not pitch this story because it's pretty dark and pretty sad, and they don't really like sad uh, on Star Trek. Doesn't mean they won't do it, but yeah, this one may have been just a little too sad for Star Trek to deal with. So it never sold and it never got made. But there are a lot of things I like about it. I'm glad I got a chance to reread it and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, instead of starting another story treatment, I just want to talk a little bit about what I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. And that was my reaction to the new Star Trek shows that are just popping up everywhere. And my specific comment has to do with the first season of Star Trek Picard. There were some weird things that really threw me, like the fact that suddenly Picard and Seven of Nine are old friends. I don't really know how or when that happened. But they just brushed right over it in the show, so I had no choice but to just brush over it myself. No, my real issue came at the very, very end of the show, one of the very last scenes of this 10-hour, 10-episode, epic Star Trek Picard. All of the action, all of the drama, all of the angst in these 10 hours of Star Trek were all motivated by and concerned with the idea of outlawing artificial intelligences. Outlawing, I guess what I should say is synthetic life forms is how they portray it in the show. Should synthetic life forms be allowed to exist or should they be declared illegal? Well, in the, in the world of Star Trek Picard, synthetic organisms have just been declared illegal. Picard, uh, Picard sees that as 
a very bad thing that needs to be changed. And so this entire 10 hours is all about, go, and we're talking about over-the-top action. We're talking about spaceship fights. We're talking about fist fights. We're talking about robots with superhuman powers and just all sorts of high drama going on for 10 hours, all wrapped around this question of should artificial beings, should androids like data, should they be outlawed? Or should we change the law to make them legal? And after all the fist fights and laser beam battles, and we finally wind up in the last five minutes of episode 10, and one of the characters says, well, it's a good thing they changed that law. And I thought, what? That's how you wrap up this 10-hour drama focusing on this one vital question? You deal with it by giving one of the characters a single throwaway line, which she delivers in a completely offhand manner, and everyone else in the scene just sort of harumphs and nods in agreement. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. Good point. It's a good thing they changed that law. I felt, I felt really pissed off. I felt really ripped off and pissed off. I expected a much more meaningful, nuanced, uh, much better written, to be honest, uh, finale to that show. I, that's what I was building up to for 10 hours. I don't think I'm wrong to want m- something more than what they gave us in the last five minutes of the 10 hours. It was a cheat. It was not fair to the characters. It was not fair to the audience. <laughs> it wasn't fair to anyone. Oh, well, that's a good thing they changed that law. Yeah, okay, whatever. So androids are legal now. Wow, that's kind of earth-shaking. It should have been treated with some gravity and some drama, just like it had been throughout the show. So, yeah, so that's that's my issue with Star Trek Picard. So if I hope, uh, I hope you didn't listen to this um, without knowing how the show ended. But that's how it ends. So... I enjoyed this. If you're listening, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it too. I'm going to be doing more of this. Again, this is, I'm celebrating the one year anniversary of doing Farfetch the podcast, and I'm finally getting around to the thing I said I was going to do this for in, in the, the so called mission statement for Farfetched, which is reciting all these unsold Star Trek stories. So you got the first one. There are many more to come over the next several months. I hope you'll keep coming back, and I hope you'll enjoy them. And in the meantime, don't forget to check out the Star Trek Virtual Con, the virtual convention. It should be a lot of fun, and my talk with the hosts is Saturday, March 19th, 2022, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Talk to you then, and we'll see you next time on Farfetched. Fetched.